Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 24 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Solomon Eversall, Visual Merchandising Director for AG Jeans. This is part two of two of my interview with Solomon, and if you missed part one about the creative process, you can listen to that first at sfdnetwork.com slash 23. In this second part, Solomon and I talk about the crippling fear we often face as creatives, whether it's when presenting our ideas in a meeting or before we even start designing, it's easy to let fear and panic take over and ruin what should be a fun process. My favorite part of the conversation is when Solomon shares a simple reframe to trick your brain out of fear. There's a there's a very subtle difference between fear and curiosity. So fear is, oh my God, what's on the other side of the box? And curiosity is, huh, I wonder what's on the other side of the box. Before we jump into the interview, I have a quick update to share and a favor to ask. First, the update. A lovely listener named Naomi sent me an email and asked why I had changed the way I was putting the podcast up on YouTube. I initially was putting the entire hour-long or so episode up on YouTube, and I changed it to just have an introduction and then link you through to the website for a full episode. She didn't like this because she really liked to listen to the podcast thoroughly, episode after episode, all on YouTube, so she wrote to tell me about this. I immediately wrote back and let her know I would change back to posting the whole episode on YouTube. The reason I share that with you is because I love getting feedback from you, whether it's constructive feedback, critical feedback, or just compliments. I love hearing from you, and I don't know the way thing, the way I'm doing things is the right way, is the way that you want them to be done if I don't hear from you. My inbox is always open. Send me an email to podcast at SuccessfulFashionDesigner.com with any feedback, constructive, critical, or otherwise, and I love hearing from you guys. If you have guests that you want me to get on the show, send me those. If you have ideas or changes or anything that you'd like to see, please send me your feedback. I can't do this all alone. I really need to hear from you guys and have you let me know what you guys want, what you like, what you don't like. It really makes the show better for everybody. Now on to the favor. I ask you guys this every episode and here I am again. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way you can say thank you and give back is by subscribing and reviewing on iTunes. It only takes 60 seconds, but this small effort really helps the show grow and get discovered by more listeners. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash subscribe to do that now and I'd really appreciate it. To access the show notes for today's episode with Solomon, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 24. Now, on to the interview with Solomon. There's a selfishness in the, in the craft, but creativity, for me, in the end, has to be selfless. I have to be willing to take it out of the suitcase and let other people experience it. Whether they're going to like it or not, that's none of my business. Um, but there has to be this selfless aspect to it. Uh, other, you know, otherwise, it's just uh, I'm just a Midwestern housewife doing macrame in her basement. Mm. 
Okay, so this, yeah, no, no, no. Um, (laughs) And no judgment on that. No, 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 no. (laughs) Those women are awesome. Um, Okay, so this leads like so perfectly into two things that I wanted to talk about. Um, One is the, and this is something you and I have talked about before, but um, the process of showing that to other people and and that could be you know taking a song that you wrote and playing it for your friends when they come over for dinner right uh, something as simple as that yeah. which can be a very scary moment or it could be you know to pull it back to a more career driven um thing you know you what you've worked on at your desk and then presenting that to your boss or maybe presenting that to the whole team in a meeting. Like that's a very scary moment for a lot of people taking this creative process. Um, and, and you made the comment that, you know, who, I can't care about what they think or I, what, I don't know exactly what you said. Um, but whether they can, they well, like it or not is up to them. It doesn't matter to me or what'd you say? Yes. None of my business. None of your business. <laughs> but sometimes it does have to be your business, you know, in a, in a professional sense. And so can you talk a little bit about the, the process of, um, the fear process that all of us go through when it comes time to maybe taking that from a craft, um, to art, to sharing that with other people, to presenting that with, to other people, and and how you oh, kind of yeah. deal with some of those emotions. Well, so for, like from a business perspective, I actually think it's even more imperative that what what they think is none of my business. It oh. doesn't mean it doesn't inform what I do for them next. Um, but if I put in all of my effort, if I put in my best idea, so one of the things that I have stopped doing. Uh, I used to do this all the time. I would pitch three ways, right? So I would pitch you what I thought you wanted. I would pitch you what I wanted. And then I would pitch you something that I didn't want at all, but I knew would work anyway. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I love that. that, that's That's what I was taught at one point is this is how you pitch ideas. Like, and I know what I want, but I'm pretty sure that you're going to pick the one that I have chosen for you, mm-hmm. um, which is really like, A, that's a lot of work. That is a whole lot of work. <laughs> you now went <laughs> like, from one thing like, to three things that you have to present and come up with. Right? Like, yeah. So, so now I pitch one way. I always have something in my pocket that is like a, you know, a less fleshed out idea that I also believe in, but I pitch my best idea. And then it's none of my business what you think about that. Because whatever happens next is going to give me the next, like is going to give me the next step, is going to tell me what I need to do next, uh, I, what, what course of action I need to take in order to fulfill this job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to give you my best idea. Uh, that's informed, you know, it's based on like, uh, you know, what are the needs of the customer are the business needs? What are some creative influences that are going on in the world right now? What, you know, my best idea rarely comes like is completely nebulous. Um, 
I don't think it's ever completely nebulous. I think it's impossible because we don't create in a vacuum. Uh, but it may not be what you want. And that's none of my business. Uh, I, you know, I might not be the right person for that job. Or it may be close to what you want, and then we have to tweak it. Um, there's a, the, there is this minister, the Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith, um, who a very long time ago, I heard him say, um, you know, there's a, there's a very subtle difference between fear and curiosity. So fear is, oh my God, what's on the other side of the box? Mm. And curiosity is, huh, I wonder what's on the other side of the box. So my job is to be curious, right? Like when I, when I present a creative idea, my job is to wonder, you know, wonder this idea that's, you know, this, uh, this word that is about amazement and awe. So my, my, I am looking to client customer with wonder and awe and going, how does this land in your heart, right? Or how does this sit in your mind? Or how does this feel in your hands? Um, and you may hate it. It may be the, like, you may look, just be like, wow, no, no. I mean, some of the most magical things that I've made don't sell. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I have no idea why, and it's none of my business. And then six years later, they start selling. And I'm like, wait, what? Now? Dang it. You know, um, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that. She's like, you know, the timetable is not yours. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, it, it, it's, I, she, she talks about the story that she like pretty much threw away and she wrote off and then it was published. And she's like, wait, what now? I want, you know, I wanted it to be published so long ago yeah. and now you're publishing it. Um, you know, like as though it's a disappointment, right? <laughs> um, you know, and uh, even like Noguchi said that there are these things that we make for ourselves, that they're so good and they're so magical that we just, we hold them dear and we keep them, you know, because we don't want to subject it to the slings and arrows of somebody else's judgment. Like it's precious to us, um, you know, it's just like gem of, of an idea. And then maybe we'll reproduce it uh, and and then share it with the world. But we keep that gem. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I am afraid all the time. Like, I'm in the process of redeveloping my my collection that's under my name, which makes it very different because it's, you know, it's there's this illusion that it's mine. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm like strong arming things that I shouldn't be strong arming. You know, I'm being like over specific about measurements that don't matter. Like in the end, they don't matter. Uh, you know, it's, it's a unisex line and there's kids and, you know, like everybody buys their children's clothing oversized anyway. So their kids grow into it. So mm -hmm. if there's like little fit problems, who the heck cares? <laughs> you know, be, like because the 
now the need is to get it done. Uh, and so, you know, if I want it to be bigger than just something that I'm dreaming about, then we talked about this earlier today that, uh, you know, that fear can be personified. It can be this person that you talk to that you say, you're free to come along for this ride. Just you can't sit in the front seat and you can't control the music and you must relinquish the map, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's like, you know, uh, if I want, if I want something that I am nurturing to thrive, uh, and I definitely like good, good grief. Have I learned this from having a, a child? You know, I have a 21, 21 month old little girl. And if I think that I can strong arm her personality, <laughs> oh, heck am I wrong? Um, you know, my job is to nurture and to care for and to guide. Um, but she's going to manifest into whatever she wants to be. It's none of my business how she ends up expressing herself. And I can only help her do it in more constructive ways. And I definitely, you know, and, and the crazy thing is to be afraid that I'm going to do it wrong. Um, you know, cause that's fearing something that doesn't exist. Uh, you know, it's, it's being afraid of what's on the other side of the box instead of curious. Yeah. Like what, what if I passively speak some French to her? Maybe that one, you know, change the way that, and then suddenly she is, she's going, you know, she's in the back seat while I'm on the speakerphone and she goes, pourquoi? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, what a eureka moment. I had no idea that it would turn out that way. And I don't even know if it was my influence. Maybe she's learned French at school yeah. or maybe she's learned it from her mother or maybe she's learned it from some French lady that she heard for 20 seconds who said pourquoi in an elevated way while she was walking down the street. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. None of my business. I love the reframe of um, frame of, of fear to curiosity. And I think that that's so relevant in so many positions that we are put in in life, whether it's our personal life or our business and career life. Um, I had a friend just this past weekend. I got up on stage in front of 500 people for, for a thing, and I definitely was fearful. But she she <laughs> she told me to, to replace the fear with excitement. Um, it's, it's the same chemicals in your brain. So you tell yourself you're yeah. excited, you're not afraid, you're curious, you're not afraid. And some of those little tricks... I think can like just make us feel so much better. So you're excited for what's on the other side. You're curious about what's on the other side. Um, instead of this constant panic of fear, which, you know, like you said, as Elizabeth Gilbert said in her big magic book, we clearly are uh, referencing that many times. We're, we're not affiliates. Yeah. <laughs> we are not affiliates. Um, but you know, the, the fear will always be there. You just have to make it sit in the back seat and don't let it control the map or the radio. But also, not just pushing it in the back seat, but reframing it as something else is a great trick. Yeah. I, so, so um, Meisner says action equals emotion, right? So Meisner, celebrated acting teacher, uh, he had these ways of getting actors to get to a place that was authentic. And so, 
you know, some, some people call it act as if, but, uh, and the emphasis being on the act as if, right? So behavior actually influences our emotional state. So one of the exercises that he used is he's like, okay, so walk down a street on a sunny day, slowly quicken your pace and start glancing backward. And by the end of the block, you will be terrified as though somebody's following you. (laughs) I'm like feeling panicked already. (laughs) Right? Because your body, like what, and I theorize that what it is actually is that, um, you know, feelings are a, are a manifestation of a real or imagined external influence. So my body reacts to something that I'm, I, that's actually there, somebody chasing me, or imagined that's there, imaginary somebody that's chasing me. Mm-hmm. And so I can be terrified all by myself or in an actual situation. And so, you know, uh, my job is to, or not, no, uh, the, the option is there that I can act as if, um, or that I can behave in a way that fits what I want to feel. So if I want to feel accomplished, then I behave as somebody who is accomplishing you know, and I can turn around and watch, like, look at examples. Um, you know, I do not want to. F- I don't. I do not want to feel like the girl who was sitting at her desk at eleven fifty-five p.m. still on that project, panicking that it's not going to be done the next morning. Mm-hmm. So I behave like the girl who's super relaxed, who comes in at you know nine a.m., who leaves at five forty-five always has her work done and is thriving. Right. So like there's, uh, and there are examples, there are endless examples around me. Like I, you know, I'm prone. I definitely am prone to panic and anxiety and fear and desperation. Mm -hmm. Um, yet if you ask any of my coworkers, if you ask any of the people, uh, who have employed me, I'm known as the guy who is the relaxer. Right. Like I walk into a meeting and everybody relaxes. I walk into a store build and everybody calms down um, because I behave in a way that it's calm. I behave in a way that is centered and that feels accomplished. Um, and then typically that manifests to I'm more planful. Things get done early and not late. Um, and everybody has a magical experience and is grateful that we all showed up for the job. Yeah. You know, as, as, <laughs> as opposed to being the, the sweaty palm terror stricken guy who's like, Oh my God, <laughs> no, this is not, this is not going to work. We're all going to fail. Yeah. This is going to blow up in some fiery Hindenburg of a project. You know? <laughs> um, Yeah. 
Um, I, I heard this um, study by Sean Acor, who is um, – he studies happiness. And w- one of the examples similar to what you referenced in terms of like walking down the street, you keep walking faster, you look around, is someone following me? Um, you know, that behavior can not only manifest in yourself, but it gets, as you've said, I, I, I believe I interpreted from what you said correctly, is it can become t- contagious to the other people in the room. So you now act calm and collected. You walk into the room and, and everybody gets calm and collected and relaxed. And there was this study they did where three people are waiting at an airline terminal and, and one of the people starts tapping their foot anxiously and checking their watch. Like, when are we going to take off? When are we going to take off? When are we going to take off? And within like a minute or two, something very short, the other two people are tapping their foot anxiously, watch, checking their watch or their phone every 20 seconds. When are we going to take off? And so these, um, these act as if moments in our life and, and how we carry ourselves can not only benefit or harm us, but then they can be contagious to the people around us. And that can have like a bigger positive or really negative effect within our workplace, within our families, within our social circles. Um, so I'm glad you brought that example up. And I think it's a good reminder to act as if you think about the result that you want and how you want to go through this process and act as if that is what's happening. And, and that will be beneficial for you and all the people around you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. For I that. mean, I definitely, I, I have been brought up in the professional world by very generous people um, who took their time, who were careful, uh, who were honest, who were open, uh, who were very transparent in how their their own creative process worked. Some who panicked, uh, you know, some who didn't, but. What they taught me definitely is that it is it is very important for me to behave like somebody I would like to become, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and treat my employees with the same respect, generosity, openness that I've been treated with. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, like I'm super grateful for that first very professional retail gig doing visual merchandising where Lisa Hundrink, uh, gently showed me how my ideas could be applied to a single store and then how that projected me into a career that I was not expecting. You know, because still at that time, I think I thought I was going to go back to acting or something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and so I try and behave with my employees uh, and with my coworkers like Lisa did with me, Uh, you know, gentle, constructive, transparent, collaborative. Um, and it also makes my life much easier, you know, cause I don't, I'm, I'm less stressed if I behave less stressed. Yeah. I love that generosity that you consciously pass it on to your staff because, you know, we all hear so many horror, horror stories is, is, is perhaps a bit dramatic. Huh? 
but we hear these stories of um, people working under terrible bosses who are just jerks and um, they push, they don't appreciate and they're – you know, I, I don't know about you but I hear a lot of really bad situations within the fashion industry of very abusive bosses or higher-ups. Um, Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. I mean, we the fa- the fashion industry. Uh, I do think the fashion industry is filled with a lot of what enfant terrible. You know, like <laughs> we're um, can you translate children? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, ter- terrible children. Okay. Right? Like that, um, so there's this there's this illusion, uh, or I think there's this misnomer in in all creative industries that we are supposed to behave like children, Mm. Um, you know, that we're supposed to be childish. And what I've come to learn is that that's not at all the case, right? We're supposed to be childlike, right? We're supposed to engender this, these ideas and uh, these magic, these, uh, magical places that are those of a wonder, like a, a wonder-filled child, um, but we are not supposed to be behave childishly. So, uh, you know, it it does not serve me to tantrum. It serves no one to tantrum. Mm-hmm. But we, as creatives, have definitely learned that, like, you know, I, I can't tell you how many movies in which a fashion designer, like throws a shoe, mm-hmm. you know, or, is, uh, you know, or an interior decorator walks in and is like, Oh, this is terrible. Uh, <laughs> get it all down. What were you thinking? You know, like, uh, uh, you know, this, this I, idea of successful creative fashion people as being monsters. And yeah. why, like, why not be generous? Why not be calm? You know, why not be lovely? Um, long ago in a faraway place, I was a fashion model. Um, and I I worked with some really big customers. And I have to tell you that my favorite experiences, the, uh, the experiences that inspired me to keep going in this industry were these generous spirits who were calm, took your photo suggested that you move in a slightly different direction or slightly place your weight differently or, you know, slightly lower your chin or lift your eyes. And the quality of their photograph was stunning. Mm. Um, the ones that tantrumed, uh, and I've definitely worked with photographers who tantrumed the quality of the work was fine. There were typically a lot of people behind them who had to clean up mm-hmm. for the tantrum, um, and you know, and then there would be people like me who didn't want to have to work there anymore. Yeah, um, and so you know, it limited it limited their talent pool, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, and it meant that they had to have a much bigger support staff. And so you know, yeah, let's be calm, you know. Uh, really, uh, you know, the question, it seems strange to ask yourself this in a work environment, but the question I ask myself 
most often is what's the most loving thing I can do right now. Mm. Um, and usually that, that thing is right. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Salman, you sound like a wonderful man to work for, and <laughs> I would love to um, <laughs> ask you just uh, one more question uh, because a lot of people in the audience uh, work in the industry as an employee or trying to um, get in for the first time or trying to break back in after being laid off or whatever long list of things. Um, but a lot of people out there are going through interview process and things to that extent. And so you're in a position of hiring. Um, when you're interviewing new candidates, um, what – you know, this is going to be a little bit more more actionable um, for the listeners out there. I know some of the conversation has been a bit abstract, but I did want to touch on this. You know, what are you looking for in in people that you interview? Um, you know, how can they best present themselves to land the next gig, whether that be creatively or um, intellectually, or, or you know, what is that? And and what advice can you give to some people out there listening who are fighting desperately to get back in or to break in for the first time? Um, so I would, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a hard, that is a hard call. It's a, that's definitely a hard question. Yeah. Um, you know, cause it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, is, is what phases the moon in like, <laughs> what are like, what are you wearing? What does your resume look like? Um, don't, I, I think, uh, was it terrible to start with a negative, but I would say, don't presume, you know what I want. Mm, interesting. Uh, don't presume, you know what any employer wants. You know, my, um, my experience in interviewing has always been, you know, I'm an oddball. I wear a lot of jewelry. I dress very outside of the box. Um, it's all very approachable, but it's definitely not like uh, I do not walk into an interview or into any situation in uh, in what you might expect I, w- I would wear to an interview. Um, and I think sometimes I actually take it as a slight challenge to be outside of the box. Um, I sat in an interview one day uh, with uh, a man who didn't tell, you know, who didn't really tell much with his responses or his behavior. Um, he was one of those, like, you just can't read him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at one point he, he, he says to me, he, he goes, okay, so I'm looking at you and I'm asking myself, what affinity does this fellow have to this brand or to a brand like this? And I sat and I was like, well, I could totally give him a line. Right. I could be like, oh, you know, like I, I love this brand and this is blah, blah, blah and nonsense, nonsense. And I'm trying to please you with, you know, or I could just be authentic. And I was like, I don't, uh, I don't have an affinity toward this brand. I actually think that if you were going to hire me, you are getting somebody who's a more interesting candidate because now what I'm going to try and do is sell this brand to myself and I'm a hard person to sell to. And so, uh, there you go. And he was like, that is the most interesting answer I have ever heard to that question. Yeah. Because 
I think we, we go into these ide- you know, we go, go into these interviews assuming that we know what the interviewer want, wants, what the uh, your boss is looking for. But we have no idea. Like we may we may be walking, you know, which is this is part of that idea of like it's none of my business, right? So if I go in and I give them my A level work, like if I give them the best that I can muster. Honestly, if you go in and you can give them your B-level work, you know, and you save the best that you can muster for your very pet projects, and they aren't interested in it, it, no worries. Don't worry about it. On to the next. Which is a crazy idea because I know we're all desperate for employment these days. Yeah. You know, and more money and a a better gig and career advancement. Um, But, you know, like we have to relieve ourselves of that pressure because I have no idea. Like I've interviewed for companies who I'm like, I was perfect for that job. I can't believe I didn't job. And, uh, and I didn't get the job because they were on a hiring freeze. They were interviewing anyway, but they like who nobody knew that they weren't allowed to hire anybody. Yeah. Right. It's out of your control. So, yeah, like let go of that idea. Like I and I know that we 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 are all desperate for that new gig, um, and that we want to land these things, but it just may not be for you, and for no other reason than it's just not for you, which has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Um, I, recently, I had this experience because I still do some freelance work on the side, and there was this gig that I freaking wanted. Like I was like, I want this so, so hard. This is going to be so good. My ideas are so awesome. It's going to be so elevated and I didn't get it. And I, and then I was like, well, I'm never going to get anything with that, that, uh, company again because I didn't get that gig. And then they turned around and they gave me a gig that was, Holy crap, was it so much better. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, it, it wasn't nearly as cool or edgy or like future production, awesome geniusness, um, but it was so much better. And it was, it ends up being a really like legitimately magical, eye opening, heartwarming. Uh, career expansive creativity building experience that was really fucking hard. I tried not to cuss this whole time, but it was really hard. That's okay. I mean, it was really, <laughs> it. <laughs> um, uh, it, and like, I have no idea what that other gig would have been like, but I know that the gig that I did was, it was actually truly relationship building. Mm. And, you know, so like whatever, uh, I, if you are looking for, if you are looking for work, if you are trying to find a, that new gig, uh, or that new job or that new freelance opportunity, just don't assume what's on the other side. Be curious um, about what's on the other all- side, but don't be afraid of it and don't <laughs> assume. <laughs> yeah. What what is it? What do they say? Um, when you assume you make an ass out of you, you and, and me. me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, 
Um, great, just, you know, really good sort of mindset shifts because I know that it can really be easy to get lost in the weeds in your own brain. Um, and so it's really good to sort of just reframe all of those and, you know, stop making those assumptions, go in with curiosity, um, Really, really, really good things we can all practice regularly. Um, Salman, I want to end with the one question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview, and um, that is, what is one thing that people never ask you about working in fashion, but you wish they did? Uh, thankfully, I think people are very curious about what I do because uh, I work in an aspect of fashion that is different, right? Uh the visual merchandising, store design, uh, nonverbal customer manipulation is very, it's a unique uh, skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what I wish we could, I, I, what I wish we could actually discuss more is this idea of fashion versus clothes. Um, you know, because we, there's this, there's this illusion that we work in some sort of like wild, amazing, elevated industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish we could actually talk more about the idea that, you know, really like what we're making, what our jobs are is clothing people, right? Protecting them from the environment, whatever that is, you know, I, it, if it's a Herve Leger elastic bando dress that you spent, you know, uh, $4,000 on <laughs> so that you could wear it to a premiere, it is a protect, protection mechanism of some sort. It is a thing that keeps you from uh, from falling to the slings and arrows of the tabloids. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, if it's a, a, a pair of running leggings that you bought at the at Old Navy because they were way less expensive than Lululemon <laughs> and but you still need them to run in the cold yeah um, right so so uh, it's not a specific question it's more a, a line of discussion I wish we would talk more about the fact that what we do the adornment that we make is not actually this like amazing elevated art form it is a it is one of practicality uh, you know, these are necessary choices that people make. Uh, clothing is necessary. We cannot walk around society naked. Yeah. Um, but how can we make it more beautiful? Yeah. You know, that's, that's what we are doing. And I wish that's what we talked about more. Uh, so it's not one question. It's more of a, a line of reasoning. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I love that angle and just that, that um, it's a good thought process for anyone in the industry to sort of go through and ask themselves um, periodically throughout the design process. Um, Solomon, this has been so wonderful chatting with you. You, uh, you're fantastic. And, and I really appreciate your time and sharing all these wonderful insights with everybody. Um, where can people find you online or LinkedIn or, or where are you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm definitely, any, I'm all over, (laughs) um, pretty much all of my channels are Solomon Eversol. So, uh, my Instagram, which you'll see a lot of my daughter on, and creative process is Solomon Eversol. Okay. Uh, my website is SolomonEversol.com. Great. LinkedIn is Solomon Eversol as well. Awesome. I'm 100%. And then I have one website that shows um, that's more like my my 
portfolio, which is Mr. Eversol, uh, and that's M-I-S-T-E-R-E-V-E-R-S-O-L-E. Okay, fantastic. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much, Mr. Eversol. This was really fantastic (laughs) to chat with you. I, um, I had a really, really great time. Likewise, thank you. This is a it really I feel privileged to to participate. That concludes part two of two parts interview with Solomon. If you missed part one, you can listen now at sfdnetwork.com slash 23. And if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 24. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. Did you know that the best way you can say thank you and give back is by subscribing and reviewing the show on iTunes? It only takes 60 seconds, but this small effort really helps the show grow and get discovered by more listeners. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash subscribe to do that now. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks again for your support.